Hello, folks. This is Spencer George, and you're listening to The Good Folk Podcast. If we think of ourselves as flowers, what does it look like to bloom? Does a flower grow on its own, or does it need love and light and care to truly blossom? And what comes after the bloom? Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Liz Maker, a full-time landscaper and part-time florist living in coastal North Carolina, in conversation with myself and Victoria Landers, our podcast producer. Liz started their floral business after the bloom in the fall of 2020, after receiving much community support to help fund their top surgery. This success sparked a desire to help other members of the gender-expansive community on their gender journey. Through After the Bloom, Liz has bought binders, helped pay tuition, and most recently ran a gender-affirming surgery campaign, which involved a GoFundMe and community-wide raffle. Liz is transgender non-binary, but feels most connected to the word genderqueer. Liz uses they-them pronouns, Colgate toothpaste, and a Nissan Frontier. As a queer Southerner, I spend a lot of time thinking about the role I play in this place. I never got to see people I identified with find joy in the places where their roots grow. To really push this language, I never got to see them bloom. Most of the narratives of queerness I saw here involved leaving, heading off to somewhere where community could be cultivated and grown, somewhere else. But for better or for worse, I am someone who craves roots. I mean, I'm a cancer, can you blame me? I want somewhere to call my own and somewhere to thrive in. And I want to be able to do that in the places I love, the soil that has nourished me from the start. We talk about leaving your hometown as if it is something we should all want. But for many of us, learning how to be who we are in the places that have seen us through every stage of growth is the most beautiful thing imaginable. And coming back to plant the seeds for what you did not have growing up is one of the most radical and transformative things you can do. I love this conversation and I love the work that Liz is doing. It is important and necessary and is, in my eyes, the true essence of what community building looks like. Putting yourself out there to help keep the ground where you are rich and watered and thriving. If we think of community as a garden, no one succeeds when only one plant grows tall. We have to learn to live together, and we have to learn to be what we needed when we might have thought we were the only plant for miles, because we never know what is growing beneath the surface. I hope you enjoy this conversation. We just want to make it smooth, fun, funky, fresh. <laughs> um, but yeah. So my first question for you is, hello, who are you, and what is After the Bloom? Um, I'm Liz. Um, uh, I am transgender non-binary, um, but genderqueer is like my favorite, um, word to describe that. Um, after the bloom is a dried floral business that I started, um, gosh, like a year and a half ago, uh, in response to like the, the overwhelming support that I got, um, from stickers that I sold to fund my own top surgery. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, what a beautiful thing to be a part of. I need to be a part of this for other people. And so, yeah, I do like dried floral arrangements. Like I do prints, stickers. um, And then I donate part of 
all of the sales directly to the gender expansive community. Um, like in various ways, I will, um, I've helped pay tuition. That was really cool. Um, well, part of tuition, not like a whole tuition. <laughs> um, um, I've like sold or not sold. I've um, bought binders for people. Um, and just most recently, um, I did like a big top surgery campaign for a friend that I met in the trans and non-binary support group here. Um, and so far we've been able to raise like 1600 bucks. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's really what After the Bloom is about. It's using like dried flowers, like stuff that I love to like be a presence in the trans community here. Wow. That's so, so how did you land on dried flowers? Like I, I always think of flowers. I think of like fresh floor arrangements. So why dried? I think that's so neat. I picked dried honestly, because it was like a, it was a safe bet. Like they last longer. It's low maintenance. It was something that I could um, get started into immediately and like not have to worry about like losing money and like getting too much pro product or not having enough. Um, so that's why I picked dried flowers, but I have a, a big background in agriculture. I have a degree in agriculture, um, from Texas tech. And I just, I love, I've worked various like farm jobs, landscaping jobs. And, um, the job I had before this was in Colorado and my boss there like really had a love of flowers. And that was like the first time I even thought flowers were a part of agriculture, if that sounds I know that sounds silly, but all of my work before that had just been like with like, like big field crops and yeah, like um, landscaping suburbs. Um, but I really fell in love with like the flower, the flower work. And he just like would make bouquets and he was so happy. And I was like, that is so happy. <laughs> like I'm going to do that. And so I did. So, and you're a full-time landscaper. Yeah. So I like, as an artist and stuff like this, I always think of like, painting or writing or photography. I think agriculture is very much of an art, but I never really thought more beyond it. So what got you into agriculture? How did you find yourself being a full-time landscaper? Um, well, actually I started, like I graduated high school. I went to Florida State for a year and a half and I was studying psychology. And I just was, I was like healing from a lot of high school trauma. And um, I was realizing in all these psych classes that I just was like trying to like diagnose myself the whole time. And it was awful. And I was like, I'm so interested in this, but this is like not sustainable for my mental health. Um, and so I like, I took, God, I think it was like a year off for medical leave. Um, I moved back home and then I ended up deciding I wanted to transfer to Texas Tech, but I picked ag literally because I was like, I like climbing trees and I want to be outside. And like, I just tried to make it really simple. Like I remember sitting on my grandma's couch and like thinking like at your core, what do you like doing? And it was like, I like climbing trees. And I was like, agriculture. That's, that's really what did it. Oh, I love that. That's so, I don't know. I think that's where... I went, my high school environment was very much parents decided their kids' majors. Like you talk to a kid, I was like, oh, well, my dad wants me to be a lawyer, so I'm going to be a lawyer. And then I recently reconnected with someone I went to high school with who had that kind of upbringing. And they were like, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I don't love my job, but, you know, I had to do it. And I think 
lost in we this gets lost in translation of people do what they think they're supposed to do or we'll bring in the money or make the parents proud. But then I think what we should really go into is like, what, what would my inner child want? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I've seen this whole like um, renaissance of like healing my inner child or I'm dressing the way my inner child wanted to. So I love that, you know, in like this time of your like, okay, I need to find something because currently working isn't working. I need to like reassess my situation. You're like, I just want to climb trees. Uh, that's oh, that makes me happy. Right? Yeah, I wish all my decisions like up until then could have been based on something as like simple and joyful as that. Yeah, I mean it's hard, and like you said, you know, you kind of have to jump through all those mental loops. And high school usually does a number on people, where you either oh, you know yeah. are lucky enough to have therapy throughout it, and then your therapist is like, "Hey, let's maybe dissect that." Or it's something you kind of like push down. You're like, nope, I that is for future me to worry about mm-hmm. until I get there. It's going to be fine and it's not going to control any of my decision making whatsoever. But it finds yeah. a way to kind of seep in <laughs> and find its way to like contaminate things. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Oh, I love that you had that conversation with yourself because I think everyone does sooner or later in life. Yeah. I honestly, I know. didn't start having those conversations with myself until I like actually like left my hometown and went to college and realized like, 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 holy crap, there's so many other types of people out in this world. And like, when you're away from your home, you get to have those moments where you're like, you're reflecting, it's easier to reflect on something like when you're not in it, you know, like, so I'm out like, in my first apartment, and then I'm thinking of all the stuff that I did as a child and like reflecting on that. And like, you don't have to push those feelings or thoughts down anymore. And it's just mm-hmm. so much, it's so much freer to just be. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easier to view on all the things like after the fact or looking back on everything and being like, oh, wow, that was kind of messed up in a lot of ways that I didn't realize <laughs> was kind of messing yeah. with my psyche. So it sounds like agriculture has been like a very healing sense. And then you have brought this um, sense of your love for flowers and your love for nature to help heal others in their queer identity journey. Um, where would you like for After the Bloom to go? Do you want to expand? Do you want to like be a full-time business owner? Like, Where do you see this project going? Because clearly it's doing a lot for so many people and you've touched many people's lives in many different ways through like the art of like florals. To be honest, I have no idea. I like, I really don't. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to think about because I really do like, I love my full-time job. I'm um, like the head of the flower department for a landscaping company. So it's like, I get to do flower stuff at work. And it's also, I have opportunities there to grow and learn more and like maybe get into like the landscape architecture part of it. So like, I really love that. And obviously like after the bloom is like my biggest passion. It's where like, like when I'm out at a market and I see kids who like, they have like a, like a little rainbow bracelet on, you know, and you can tell, and they're just like looking at your prints that say like a little of both or mostly neither. And like, they're like looking at it and they're like, Oh my God, mom, like, like, look at this, look how cool this is. And you're just like, like, you know, that they saw themselves in something that you're doing. Like, it's just so fulfilling. And so I have so much passion for that. Um, and so I, I like, I want that to grow. And I, I think eventually it would be so great if I had my own shop and it was just like, I would love after the bloom to be, um, 
I thought if I did have a shop, I would literally just want to call it like after the bloom, the place. <laughs> and it would be, you know, I would just be like, yeah, obviously like dried flowers. I could have like meetings with wedding clients there, but then it would just be um, a safe space. And I think um, I would just love people to like come hang out. I want a wall that has like, like binders that people can just like try on and like, like, you know, figure out what that feels like. Um, Cause I'm also like, I take in a bunch of um, old binders and like try to rehome them. Um, and I just, yeah, I would love, it's hard to order a binder when you've like, you've never like, th that's not like in a store anywhere. Like, how do you know? There's only so much you can read um, online mm -hmm. about it. So I think like having a place like that would be really important. Um, God. Yeah. So if I could, keep doing my full-time job but also somehow be full-time after the bloom that would be ideal but I know eventually I'll kind of have to figure that out like what's going to take up the majority of my time but right now I'm just trying to like day by day it safe spaces are so deeply important I think especially in queer communities where it feels like they're often under attacked or they're lacking um or they're not like being used as intended. So I think that just, oh, that just, oh, I have, I have like so many thoughts. I need to like gather them together for a second. Because what you said about the kids like seeing themselves in your art, that's, I think that's the best part of being the artist uh, is just making that connection, like that personal connection. Because I think one of the things of like when you're in school, when I was in school for photography, like the big thing was to get your stuff in a museum and to like have it like big and framed in gold behind glass with like a little plaque of like the about thing. And that never resonated with me because I felt like I couldn't really see the reaction or see the connection with the people. It felt like something that was like, not privilege, but something that was like to be seen for people that could only access certain parts, you know, because not everyone has access to museums and not every place have museums. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just, I don't know, that more personal interaction between um, the artist and the art and the viewer is so much more meaningful because then you can see like the firsthand reaction like that, just like I literally got a little teary. I was like, I, I see myself in that. You're like, oh my gosh, mom, look at this. That's, that's, I think the best feeling in the world when you're like, yeah, I'm doing this, like I'm doing something right. I'm on the right path. Like I'm finding it out. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so to transition a little bit, I was definitely stalking your Instagram page and I saw something that you mentioned that there's a lot of waste in the agriculture and landscape community, which I never thought about. Didn't even think that would be a thing. <laughs> because <laughs> it's nature dealing with nature so can you explain what that is exactly or like how that happens I'm definitely like not the most knowledgeable of that specific subject but I just know like like a lot of flowers are grown like they're obviously grown um in like warmer climates <clears throat> excuse me like um like South America and stuff and then there's just like like you're shipping them so far um especially with like fresh flowers um specifically and um like everything is like just like wrapped in so much plastic um to like 
preserve it. And so that's just um, where I was coming from at it. Um, I do grow some of the flowers myself and dry them myself, but I also search to look for um, other flower farms in North Carolina that I could work with. Um, so I, I just like cutting out like all of that travel. Yeah, a little bit less like plastic, just like junk, like you, just stuff we don't need. And then always like trying to reuse um, as much of the stuff that I can and then like recycling the rest. So Liz, I have a couple questions based on all of this. Um, I think it's fascinating. And I I currently am TAing for a Southern Studies course. And we've been talking a lot about like the agricultural history of the South, um, of North Carolina specifically. So I'm really interested in Florida is a very unique part of the South. Um, we actually had a podcast a couple episodes back um, with Daisha. I will link to that. We were talking specifically about Florida's role. So much unique agricultural there. Then you go to Texas, also another very unique agricultural region. Um, they all have these kind of stereotypes associated with them. What brought you to North Carolina? You are in Wilmington currently, which is coastal. Um, could you tell us a little bit about kind of that transition of Florida to Texas, to North Carolina, and some of the differences you've noticed working in all these different spaces? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's actually, so like I, did, I grew up in Florida. Um, yeah, from like kindergarten through the year and a half of college that I was talking about. Um, and then, yeah, I went to Texas. But then I also, I lived in um, like Hawaii for three months doing agriculture stuff. And then also Colorado for a year doing um, agriculture stuff. So it's, yeah, it's just so different um, everywhere. But what brought me back or what brought me to North Carolina was, um, well, my, my girlfriend who I met in Hawaii, um, who's now my fiance, um, she was my tent mate for um, this internship we were doing on an organic farm. I was doing um, organic ag and tropical horticulture, and she was doing the farm to table portion. Um, and I like had just landed off the plane, got into the farm. I was so out of it. And like, she was the first person I saw and was like, hey, do you want to be my tent mate? And I was like, my dog just dropped her bone. If you heard that thing, that was so loud. Um, yeah. And she was like, do you want to be my tent mate? And I was like, uh, for sure. Like, why not? Um, but she's from North Carolina. And so after the internship, she moved back to North Carolina. I moved back to Texas for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, she came over to Colorado with me while I was there for a year. And then, after that, I was like, well, I guess I'm just coming back to North Carolina with you. Um, and I grew up in Florida and I love the coast. We had just been in the freezing cold mountains and we wanted, yeah, coastal living again. Um, we both feel, I think, most at home when we're by the ocean. Um, so that's why we picked here. And her sister had gone to um, UNCW, so we visited her once and really liked the place. And then yeah, we moved here and just decided to um, stay. She just graduated. But yeah, we just really love this place. It's, there's something about it. As somebody who also grew up in the coastal South, I absolutely agree with you. And I also just have to say, as someone who used to work at like summer camp and spend a lot of time camping with random people, you're living the dream in that <laughs> you meet your fiance doing this. Seriously, like what an amazing story. No, it's um, so cool. 
Yeah, that really is. I like, I'm both so happy for you and congratulations and also deeply envious. (laughs) I love to hear you talk about kind of this special place that North Carolina holds and that you can't exactly put a finger on what it is. And we, Victoria and I have talked about this so much. Um, Both of us have roots in the Carolinas and sometimes we drive around and we look at each other and we go, I don't know what it is about her, but she's she's got something over me. And I think this is a really common experience among people here that, you know, whether you're at the coast or you're in the mountains, um, and even in the Piedmont, we have this too, but that feeling of where you kind of look around and you're like, I almost can't believe this is real. And I almost can't believe that I get to be here and I get to do this. And I don't know what it is, but there really is something special that tends to root people to this place. It makes me sad when you talk to people outside of the South that don't really get that. Um, and of course they're not gonna get that. Maybe they've never been here, but because they've never been here are gonna project all of these stereotypes and all of these associations and not even really give it a chance. Um, we talk often, or I talk often in a lot of my own work, like the South has the largest queer population of anywhere in the country, almost double it? what the, it does. So the Northeast is 19%. The South is, it's either 35 or 37, but it's the highest of anywhere in the country. And that's something that is not talked about, Um, not only in like the vast, so we have a lot here, not only in the vast agricultural landscape, in the beauty of the place, but also in the people. And part of what we created with Good Folk is that we really wanted to tell these stories. So I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your own experience just with North Carolina and, you know, is this home for you? Is this somewhere you really think you might stay? And what has that experience been like? I think, well, we did, we just bought a house so that's cool. Um, lots of big life changes going on in like the span of three months. But um, so we definitely like we're going to be here um, for a good while. I don't see us moving anywhere else anytime soon. I think the dream we both um, we just love Hawaii. Like we fell in love there. We like I proposed there when we met, went back on our five year anniversary. Um there's just like a feeling there that I've just never felt before. Like the people really do care about the, the land and it's a very spiritual experience. Um, so I do, I don't think we'll be here forever, but I think this is like absolutely where I should be right now. Um, I really like Wilmington has, it just has like such a good sense of community. Um, I don't think I've ever lived in a place before that even had a um, trans and non-binary support group. And so like just having that, um, I think is really special. Um, In other places I've lived, I feel like just like walking down the street, like holding your partner's hand, you get like some weird looks and that hasn't happened here. You know, it's just, it is very queer. Maybe that's why (laughs) it just, it feels it feels more like home. Um, well, I feel like a lot of that kind of what you're getting at is maybe home is about community. Oh, absolutely. And that's something I feel very deeply. I think I've spent the last, I've lived in a lot of places the last few years. I think I've moved every year for like the last seven or eight years. And I keep looking for this like metaphorical home and imagining that like when I get to the right place or the right city or the right apartment, it's just going to feel like home. And I'm just going to know. And I'm going to be like, I never want to leave. And one thing that has been 
both really difficult and really interesting about coming back to North Carolina and deciding to kind of put down roots here is that it didn't immediately feel like home in the way I always thought it would, which is that I grew up here, moved away, and then coming back, I was like, yeah, this is my home. And it still has taken time to put down those roots and find that community. And I, I've noticed the last few years, I've been back almost three years now, it did not feel like home until I started to find community. And that community did not happen immediately, as it should not, I believe. Um, but I think we get a lot of misconceptions that, oh, yeah, if you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing, that community, it's just going to like fall into place. And sometimes it does. Like It really takes time to put down mm -hmm. roots. Um, to bring it back to plants and agriculture, you know, like no tree is going to blossom and bloom overnight. You roots are like seedlings. And I right. think that's something that's really hard to talk about. And it's, I don't want it to come across as negative because I'm not saying that like, you're never going to find your community, but you can't ever expect it to just immediately happen. But I do think that when that community does start to form, if you're willing to like wait it out and feel it out and let it grow, that is what leads places to really feeling oh, like home. absolutely. And that community can be found anywhere, but there are places that maybe yeah. have it more than others. I um honestly the I started to get that sense of community here when um I did just like release on Instagram and other social media about like, hey, I made these stickers, like they're like gonna fund my top surgery, like if you want to buy some or donate. Um you know, like, please do. Um, and so I think like also when you're, when you're coming into yourself and you're really figuring out who you are and you're being, you're, or at least trying to be the most authentic version of you and like the most true version of you, like that community, like it just, like it's magnetic, you know, like it's definitely connected. Um, and like putting, like making yourself vulnerable um, and it does, it shows like the good in people. Um, and it's so much easier to find that community now that I feel like, like the community, like they know who I am and what I stand for. And it's just, it's made like all the difference. Um, like the friends I've made from it, it's just, it's been so rewarding. I just think everything about what you said is beautiful and poignant. And one thing that really stands out to me is this idea that you had to put yourself out there to find that community in a way. Like you kind of had to be like, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm going to see what happens. We talk about this a lot on the podcast with creative pursuits of it's so easy to get yourself mm -hmm. in the mindset of what if nobody likes it? What if nobody responds? I think I talked about starting a podcast for a year before we finally just did it, right? And sometimes the best advice is just to do it and trust that if you're doing the thing that you believe in and you feel passionate about, even if you think nobody's going to care and nobody's going to listen, the likelihood is that there are other people out there who will and do, and they will find you. And it will it, that community will come. It might not happen overnight. It might not happen through one Instagram post, but sometimes the key to community is putting yourself out there and showing up as who you mm -hmm. are because you can't find authentic community if yeah. you're not being authentic to yourself. Right. Right. That's yeah. It's not possible. When you become like this unintentional figure, like you were saying, like people know who you are, they pe like people know what you stand for. That's so important for the young people. 
um, that, you know, the kids that walk by your booth for the kids in high school who aren't quite sure where they land, if they land anywhere on the spectrum, um, the queer identity spectrum, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's like very much like we were talking about healing our inner child. It's something I think that we wish we had growing up, um, seeing people older than us, like living and thriving and surviving and being beautiful beings and being like, wow, like that's, I can do that. Like that's like a possible future for me. That's something that I can pursue and like live through. Um, so I think finding, you know, this community that you feel comfortable in and then also contributing to it, you know, okay, like what would I want to see? I think that's also so important and clearly what you're doing. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's because like I found out in the town because I, grew up here. Um, I went away for college, came back unexpectedly because of COVID, but I think that happened to everyone. Um, <laughs> everyone ended up flocking back to their hometown and then having to do this healing journey, whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> um, and through that, I found this community that was existed. Like we had a, um, it's called St. Hill's Pride, like this little like pride, you know, they have like support groups and they do events. Right. And I was like, and I just found out of them around what, June? Um, and I was like, how long has this been a thing? And I was like, oh, well, we've always been here, but you know, no one knew about us. And I was like, uh, you always, I wish I knew I could have yeah. used that. <laughs> that been helpful. Yeah. So I think, and they were like, well, I was talking to the person or one of the people that started forever and ever and ever ago. Um, and they're like, well, we could only be so vocal about it because we weren't sure if there was the community. Um, we knew it existed. We didn't know it to the extent and we didn't know like how safely that we can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that now it's like all of us are like, okay, well, it existed, but either not very vocally or not very well. Um, we're going to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. I want to give the young people a safe space and a space to like learn and yeah. thrive and like look up to. No, absolutely. I um, I feel like like my growing up, I was very much like, like ignorance is bliss. Like that was like the theme of, yeah, like me growing up. I didn't, I don't ever remember seeing a gay person. I mean, I'm sure I did, but like, you know, I didn't, I didn't meet any, I didn't know any trans people. It was very like, yeah, it was just a very like white cis heteronormative world that I lived um, in. I grew up on an air force base. And so that was just like, yeah, it was, just, I just, I, I felt like I never needed to question anything. It was just, um, like, it just, it, it, it is what it was. And, um, I mean, obviously, I had those, like, little moments, like I was talking about earlier, that I looked back on, um, where I was like, no, like, you, you were struggling, you just didn't really, like, no, you were struggling, you just thought that that was how everything was, like, you were just living it. Like, I, I remember, telling my mom like how like many many times like yeah I think I'm gonna get like a breast reduction you know when I'm older and my mom was like Elizabeth like people pay so much money for that and I was like oh okay you know you're right or like oh I like I think I'm gonna shave my head and again it was like Elizabeth people would like pay to have that natural blonde color that you have you know why would you do that and like now looking back it's like well I mean people pay a lot of money to get them taken off too um so that that's not really fair but um yeah I wish if I would have been maybe just exposed to like 
someone at a market, like my, my sign says after the bloom, dried flowers, LGBTQ plus safe space. Like I, I never even saw anything like that. So there wasn't, there was no reason to question anything, if that makes sense. No, a hundred percent it does because if you're not exposed to it in like your child brain, therefore it does not exist, you know? Yeah. It was very much like that. I remember in um, my high school, because I went to all private schools, not once did I see like an openly like out person. I'm sure, actually I know for a fact I've interacted with them, but we all had no idea. Yeah. "Mm," You know, (laughs) it didn't exist. So we were like, no, it's (laughs) Fine. Everyone has it's fine. Yeah. Everyone has an obsession with Annie Oakley when they're younger. It's totally normal. <laughs> yeah, um, everyone's in love with their best friend in high school, right? That's like a universal experience. Oh yeah. That was literally my first like queer experience in high school. We were in like we we're just at my friend's house, like in the hot tub, and one of my guy friends was like, Hey uh Katie, like why don't like why don't you kiss Jordan? And Katie was like, Oh no, like why would I kiss Jordan? And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> and like it just was like like that just felt so normal. And then, and Jordan was my best friend. Um, and then from then on, we just kind of like would make out randomly, like not in front of everyone like that time, but like, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like universal just... queer experience. And I thought I was so unique in that. And yeah. then, um, yeah, no, everybody, everybody has that. Well, everybody who's now, who's now out has that. But... Right. But I was like, how did you, you didn't even like really think about it then you had to like, like the next three years, I didn't even like call myself gay, like at all. Like I was like, no, you're not gay. You just did that. And then like, I'm just open. I'm just experimenting. I think so much of it though is about like the stories and representation. And this is a huge part of my work about the South. I'm getting my master's degree and looking at like Southern storytelling and narrative representations, which is about the fact that so many of the things that I'm going to be unlearning for the rest of my life mm-hmm. could have been fixed or not fixed, but would have been a lot better if I had had some of these stories. And I think now it's like our role almost as these people who have the experience of like being here now in this current moment, like the South heavily contested region, lots, there's a lot happening here. And I think that like the best way I can approach it is my role as a person who's existing currently in this place, even if it's not forever, is to try to be what I couldn't have. And to, to say, if I could go back, to seven, eight-year-old me, what would I have needed? Mm-hmm. And I, I love this kind of flower analogy with it because it's like, it is, it's like after the bloom, like you've kind of bloomed now. So now yes. you get to go and plant all the seedlings. And it's mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful thing. And it's like, you're just sprinkling out this hope and this joy. And that's what builds community. And that's what builds empathy. And that's mm-hmm. what is not getting talked about in mainstream media and on the news, mm-hmm. but is happening every day here on the ground, in real life. And if nobody else is going to tell these stories, like we will tell them because you're going to do a it. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty much just heal your inner child. <laughs> For those of you listening who haven't done it yet, uh, this is your sign to like wear the butterfly clips. Maybe like read a, I don't know, just heal your inner child. Talk to your inner child. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I, even now, I like, I feel like I'm trying, like, I don't know how to word this right. It's almost like parts of me are still trying to live, like, almost like the little, the little punk boy that, like, I always, like, wanted to dress like and be like in, like, middle school and high school, but, like, never did. And so I'm almost like, like, you know, I'm like, I'm 28, maybe, like, 
maybe wearing this is a little bit like weird and childlike, but like I didn't get to do it when I was 12. So I'm going to do it now. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Me and Spencer were at a vintage market and you know, those kind of like obnoxious kind of like granola mom, like hippie, like pants was all like the patch patterns. I saw that booth and I was like, I will be right back. Spencer was like, oh, I had this phase and I grew up in uniforms. Oh, man. Um, I went to Christian private schools. It was just, you know, little pleat skirts and ties and, you know, blouses. And I was, oh, yeah. And all I wanted was I went through a phase where I wanted to wear all black and I so deeply, I knew I was meant to be a scene kid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but my... A school would not – I had to have, like, a certain haircut. Couldn't have any colors. Couldn't have, like, the fringe. So I got, like, the – as close as I could get was kind of, like, the the curtain bangs. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Guys, hold me back. <laughs> it's getting crazy in here. Um, I wanted to be, like, a scene kid, but I also wanted to wear, like, all, like, the crazy patterns and stuff. So I was like, I had that face. And I was like, I didn't. I will one day. <laughs> as, yeah. a, as a 24-year-old, <laughs> I will be 32, and I'll be wearing my scene hair um, when I grow my hair back out. Um I was like, it's going to happen one day. I just, even if it's for a week, Good for you know, you. I just, you got to experience it. It just, because yeah. otherwise you're going to wonder like the what ifs of like, what if I didn't do this? Or, you yeah. know, what if I didn't read that book? Or what if I didn't reach out to that person or listen to this band or go to that concert? You know, it's always kind of, kind of be in the back of your head. And I feel like you can't really truly move on from anything or like slowly, like fully close the chapter to that book without like peeking. Like I was like, what if, what if I just dabbled? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and once you've already done the hard stuff, like, like if I can come out as gay and like the Bible belt of Texas, and then if I could like come out as trans and also a very like rural area in Colorado, like, damn it, I can wear these clothes that, you know, like that's <laughs> yes. so small. Like you've already done the big stuff. Like, yeah, you're doing great. It's the kind of like revolutionary power in a lot of ways of queerness because there's an Ocean Vuong quote that I sent to like literally everybody I know, which is that I'm going to paraphrase the quote and I will put it in the description because it's like I have it like printed Mm -hmm. on my wall in my bedroom. It's so good. But it's all about how Ocean Vuong is is a poet for those of you who don't know. And it's about – yeah. Ocean Vuong is amazing. 10 out of 10. Highly recommend. Um, But talking about how queerness saved his life because it forced him to think outside of boxes and to think creatively. And I have a theory that that's why so many artists are also queer, because when you start thinking outside of the binaries of life as it's presented to you, you realize all these different like revolutionary possibilities of who you can be, right? Of it's like, if I don't have to be this thing that's handed to me on a platter and that I'm supposed to like, look at all these other things Mm -hmm. that I could be. And I'm just going to try that out and experiment and see what happens, which is where good art comes from of, you know, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to test it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, you don't have to stick with anything forever. Careers, hair colors, you know, mm-hmm. clothes. It's funny. We all talk about experimenting. Every single one of us is sitting here with a black sweatshirt. <laughs> but it's comforting. <laughs> Y'all can't see this. We're literally all on camera. Yeah, we're all on camera with like the <laughs> mood lighting and the black hoodie <laughs> So you have to experiment to figure out who you are. Maybe we're all more alike at our core. But I think that's like what it means to be an artist. And in a lot of ways, both art and queerness are revolutionary forces because they don't, by existing either as an artist or as a queer person, or for many of us both, you're already outside of what life is supposed to look like, which is really exciting and terrifying because you get this blank slate to say, 
how am I going to do it for me? And what do I want that to look like? Absolutely. Um, my fiance is like always like telling me, like, I feel like you've lived like lives as so many different people. Um, so I totally like resonate with, with what you just said. It just makes all the sense. So floral is very much your artistry and you can kind of track, you know, we're talking about like the, um, after the bloom and planting the seedlings and all of that beautiful, I'm blinking on the word. I was not an English major. Um, fill me in Spencer. What's the word I'm looking for? Analogy? Is that the word? I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? (laughs) Talking about. (laughs) Like the, like the analogy or the metaphor, the symbolic The metaphor. I was an English major, but it's been a while. You don't know what this yeah, is? It's a metaphor for those of you who weren't saying I was doing the circle of hand motion, like circle of life, the metaphor. The cycle of life. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been a long day. <laughs> the metaphor is like being like your paintbrush and kind of like your artistic journey and your like self-discovery journey very much through florals and through nature. Um, so if you can kind of pick yourself or describe yourself like as a floral arrangement mm-hmm. or as a dried flower, how do you picture yourself? Like, what would you be? What would you represent? This is funny. I've actually already thought this before. I am 100% black bearded wheat. <laughs> like, it's just the, like, the wheat, like, that grows the stalk, but then the top of it is, like, like mm-hmm. black and wispy. It's it's just, like, there's a lot of texture. It's neutral. It has a little bit of that, like, edgy <laughs> flair. And I'm, like, I honestly I think I posted that, like, a story on my, like, the after the bloom Instagram, I was like me if I was a grass, and it's just like a picture of the black bearded wheat. Like, yeah, oh, 100%. wow, I like how you already like I didn't know this answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love. I was like, oh wait, like I, I already, I'm very love confident. that. <laughs> I know this, Victoria. What kind of flower would you be? Now I'm curious. Or, or for to open it up a to flower, everybody. any kind of flower or plant for me. Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh, I. Hmm. I don't know. I'm a sucker for eucalyptus. Um, but I think I am allergic to it, so that's the downside. Um, to my never and you're your own worst enemy. I am. Oh wow, okay. Mm, that's a session for my therapist. <laughs> um, <laughs> um I do love eucalyptus, but it does energy. <laughs> um the other thing I can think of is baby's breath. Because I have like a bunch hanging on the wall behind me with all my little knickknacks. I think baby's breath. I don't know why. I just feel connection to that. Even though, because it's funny, because they're very delicate and like kind of whimsical, and I am not. <laughs> you usually hear me before you see me, and I very wear lots of loud bullsh and bullsh, bold colors. <laughs> so, but I don't know why. That just I feel connection to baby's breath. That's good enough. You feel it. That's all. That all. That's all that matters. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. To anyone listening, put it in the comments. We want to know what kind of plant you are. All right, Spencer, your turn. I am, I've thought about this as well. I am a pine tree, um, probably either a loblolly pine or a longleaf pine. Um, and I do have context for this, which is number one, I've been working on a book for the last like two and a half years, and now I'm rewriting it again. Um, that follows a like pine tree god who appears in dreams and it's like a neo southern gothic steampunk anyway there's a lot going on there um but i've spent a lot of time the last few years thinking about lava pines but before that i had a friend who wrote me a note once this was like way before i moved back south and they're like you remind me of the pines because like them you stand like tall 
and strong, but know how to move in the wind. And I was like, that's the most brilliant analogy I've ever heard mm-hmm. for life. And then I started researching all the longleaf pines when I first moved back. And I was living in the middle of like the longleaf pine forest. And I got really into like how deep the roots grow, but how far they can spin out in a storm without snapping. And then I think about that a lot of like, when I think about what home and place mean to me, it's about having these roots to somewhere, having a tether, but also being able to like kind of spin out, you know, no matter how far I go, I always have a place to come back to. And that could be like a physical place, or it could be just like a sense of self that I've cultivated. So I would say I'm a pine tree, but I could also just be like a Fraser fir. I'd be okay with that too. (laughs) That was so deep. And I... I'm not surprised that you said pine tree, but I also hate it because every time I think of pine tree, I just think of pine cones. I'm terrified of pine cones. So now I'm always going to look at you a little different, Spencer. (laughs) Now I have a little bit of fear in me. (laughs) Things will never be the same. (laughs) But our time is starting to wrap up. So I have one final question for you. Um, what do you believe in? This is something we ask all of our podcast guests that we kind of close out all our episodes with. Um, so yeah, what do you believe in? Um, I I believe no one knows you and your body the way that you do. Um, and I think like honoring that, it's like, it's like your birthright um, and coming to terms with that is like a spiritual experience in a way. Um, And I just, I want people to feel confident with that, like inner knowing that of who you are, that the world tries to like steer you away from. Um, So I think when you, when you see yourself in like a tree or a plant, you're like, like honor that, like that's not, that's not weird. And I think if you just keep finding those little bits of like soulful bliss, I think it becomes easier to possibly do the harder things um, to become your truest self. I love that. (laughs) How would anyone else know anyway? You know, like how would they know? Oh, wow. Oh, oh, I love talking to you. <laughs> it's so fun. You're so right, back at you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so how would people find you if they want to get in contact, they want to join this awesome community that you're building, if they want to like maybe be like, hey, how do I source a binder? Where do people find you and how do they contact you? Um, you can find After the Bloom on Instagram. It's um, after underscore the underscore bloom. And you might also just find it if you just type it in. But um, you can also send an email to Liz at afterthebloom.com. Um, that's probably the, the easiest way. I also do have a website, um, afterthebloom.com, and there's like a little message sec- section um, that you can use. So yeah, I'd love to yeah, reach out. Let me know what you need help with. And I would love I would to do whatever, um, help you in whatever way you need. Fabulous. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to us. Um, And good luck with everything. And thank you to all of those who are listening. And wherever you are, whatever time it is, whatever season it may be in your journey of bloom, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. We will see you in two Wednesdays. Bye, guys.